Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with you again today in the house of the Lord. There's just no other place I'd rather be than worshiping Him with God's people. Hallelujah. Well, this is my first time preaching in a month, so here. I've preached a lot other places, but first time here, so it's wonderful to be back to share the word of the Lord with you. This morning in prayer, all for the last couple of weeks, I've not been able to get a scriptural image out of my mind and spirit. And we were praying about it again this morning. In fact, we were praying in depth around it this morning. And um, there's a picture in the Old Testament prophets. It shows up both in Amos and Zechariah of um, the Lord with a plumb line. So do you know what a plumb line is? It's a, you know, a weight on the end of a string used. Uh, what's that? Plumb bob. Well, in my translation, it says plumb line. So sorry, but the plumb bob. No, Bob's sitting two rows behind you. It's, I don't know, but so the plumb line or bob, as the case may be. So it's a, a weight with a, a, a sharp, you know, it can be many things, but the way I'm seeing it in my spirit is this weight that comes to a, a sharp point, and it's used to, to lay out true. The, the, the one who's doing the building holds the plumb line, and then it, it you know, um, pendulums back and forth, uh, creating a line, and, and, and of course then it finally comes to a stop, and it's right there that it's at the the, the, the central place, and it's the place of truth. And um, the word of the Lord in my spirit, and you can, uh, at a later point, if you want to go to Amos uh, chapter 8 and um, Zechariah 4, you'll find the picture there, but the the, the, the word there is speaks, it's speaking to the people of Israel, the Lord coming with a plumb line, and he's, he's establishing his true again for his people. And the Zechariah picture is around the, the establishing and the foundation of the temple and the building of the temple. And uh, what I've just been sensing in my spirit over and over again is that the Lord is establishing his true in us. And his plumb line is in his hand. And we have a choice in how we respond to the plumb line. Is the plumb line is sharp and it cuts and it goes deep. It's like the Hebrews 4, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it goes down and exposes even to the the separation of the marrow and the bone, it goes right and exposes things in our lives. And that exposing can be very unsettling. It can be very hard. Our sister just gave a testimony of, 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 of walking through a, a season of deep challenge and struggle and difficulty. And many of us have walked through those seasons in our lives. 
But again, as it says in Romans 12, that we're to be as living sacrifices. And so I want you to picture for a moment that you're on that altar before the Lord and the plumb line is coming and you see it coming towards you. And humanly, there's a real um, temptation or because we know that the pain, the pain that's coming and again, this came up in the prayer this morning, you know, it's the, the response can be, oh, I'm going to turn away from it. Right? You know, let me, oh, that, I don't, I don't want that cut. But also as we came in prayer, there, there comes a point where we have the option and, and, and our response can be, I'm going to embrace that temporary pain for the joy of the freedom that will come on the other side. Because if I stay the way I am, I'm going to be in persistent pain. (laughs) So it's sort of weighing, you know, out. We do the cost-benefit analysis, but often we do the cost-benefit analysis from a very temporary perspective. And so we want to avoid that pain of the plumb line because, you know, well, my, my persistent pain, the, the way my life is, I'm living right now, well, it's, you know, it's working well enough. But we don't even realize how far or how out of true perhaps our lives have become. Just this morning, Annette and I were reading the devotional book that we're doing this year uh, by a fabulous old missionary, E. Stanley Jones. And he's talking about, he's telling a story about a doctor with a a young woman who who had been, who had grown up, and in her growing up, she she was crooked her whole life. So she... She walked crooked, um, and, and the doctor was able to, to, you know, surgically they were able to get her back to a straight up and down. And the first time that her mom was standing there and the girl walked straight to her mom, she threw her arms around her mom, and she said, Mama, everything is crooked. Because she'd become accustomed to seeing the world. Make sense? So the sense in my spirit is that God's bringing a plumb line into our lives right now and into our life corporately together as a people. And I'm hearing testimonies from so many of the Lenten groups and through the Mosaic groups we just met on Wednesday night, and, and over and over again, I'm just hearing the testimonies of how God's people are being brought to a place of truth, how the word of the Lord is, is, is coming and cutting deep in our spirit. And so I think my, 
I, I want to share that both as an observation, just if, if you are experiencing that in your own life right now, if you are experiencing the plumb line of his word, I just want you to know that what you're experiencing right now is normal and it's something that I, I really believe that God is doing in us. And if there's a, a discomfort and, a, an, a, and, and maybe even almost a disorientation because, again, we've, we've become used to living here and, and he's coming and he's aligning us and he's setting it straight and, and there's this part in us that just is so unused to that. So it's both an observation and it's also an encouragement and an exhortation to us to us, to say yes. To rather than roll away when the plumb line comes, rather than kind of, you know, flop around on the altar and say, that there would, there is great Joy in saying yes. That there's great freedom in saying yes. There's great healing in saying yes. Bring your plumb line. Cut me deep. Make me true. I've shared with you before one of my, one of the prayers that has been in my spirit for many, many years is David's prayer in Psalm 51, which is his great prayer of repentance and confession after his, after he's called out from his um, adulterous situation with Bathsheba and the murderous situation that took place as a result of that and all of that. And he says, Lord, that you would establish, he prays and says, Lord, establish your truth in the inmost parts. Teach me your wisdom in the hidden places. I believe that that's what the Lord is doing right now in our midst. He is establishing truth in the inmost parts and teaching us wisdom in the hidden places. So as your pastor, I want to invite us in to that process of establishment of that wisdom coming into our lives and encourage one another. We need to encourage one another because when you're in the middle of it, it's hard. So grateful that Edith had Ophelia to be along. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what communities, that's what we need one another for. All right, we're going to talk about that some more in just a moment. So all of that was extra, but it just felt important to to share that just to kind of give us context. So we are in the midst of a study, as you know, on favorful, living the fullness of God's favor, and we're focused in on the Beatitudes. And so we're coming to the fifth Beatitude this morning, and the first one that I have the opportunity to preach. And so Again, I want to go back and say thank you. Thank you to Andrew, to Peggy, to Pastor Ben, and to Michonne for faithfully bringing the word of the Lord to us over these last many weeks. It's been so good. That's one of the things I love about this house is 
And, and one of the things that I, again, want to commend to you is the value of the word of God. It's not only the person bringing that word. It's the word itself that is living and active. All right? So let me back up for a moment just to, to give us the broader context, just because, again, this is my first time preaching into the Beatitudes here. And so I want to kind of back the lens out for just a moment and remind us of where we are, because we're in Matthew chapter 5, but Matthew is a gospel which we are going to be unpacking over the next, oh, I don't know, however long it takes us to unpack it. And so I just, first of all, I just want to remind you again, as I've reminded you many times, and as I will remind you many times more, that these words from the gospel, when we come to the gospels, we are coming not simply to words on a page. In the gospel, the word tells us that we encounter the very living presence of God himself. So this, these words, these aren't dusty historical words somewhere back on a page. These are living, they, they carry the very living presence of God himself. And the Bible says that he lives not only in a high and lofty place, but he also lives near to those who are humble and contrite of heart and who tremble at his word. So it is quite appropriate for us to tremble at the word of God, particularly when we are here in the Gospels in his living presence. Now, this Gospel, Matthew, has some unique elements to it. It's a very Jewish Gospel. It was, in, in, in many ways, written to a Jewish audience. But even in the midst of that, it is also a powerful gospel for the church. It's a gospel for all nations. And really, at its very essence, it is a gospel of the kingdom of God. And so one of the interpretive lenses that we need to have in our mind and in our spirit when we are preparing to receive the word of the Lord from Matthew, is that it is in the context of the, of, of the kingdom of God, which is the primary message which Jesus is delivering and which Matthew is capturing for us. And so just a few reminder words as we begin again this morning. Matthew 4.17 From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom. Turn around, reorient your life, get your life aligned and in allegiance with the kingdom and the king because the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew 4.19, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. I'm going to, the kingdom that I'm establishing in your life, I want to invite others into that kingdom life experience as well. And I'm going to equip you. In fact, I'm going to compel you to invite others to experience this kingdom life that you are experiencing. Because once you've experienced the reality of the kingdom 
in your life, it, there's a natural overflow of that kingdom to others. This is all leading in now. We're in you know, Matthew 4. We're leading into Matthew 5 here in the Beatitudes. So I just want to remind us of where we are again as we come to the Beatitudes. And Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating the reality of that kingdom. So to kind of sum that up, the the king is proclaiming and demonstrating the reality of his kingdom and inviting others to join him in that new kingdom reality. And that's what he's inviting us to do here again today. And that's what he's going to continue to continually inviting us into and continually inviting others to join in this new kingdom reality. Okay, everybody with me so far? Okay? Now let's go to our text in Matthew 5. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there again. Otherwise, the scriptures will be up here on the screen. It's always good, though, to interact with, if you've got your Bible, look there as well. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Now, before we just kind of skip over this moment, because all this, from one perspective, we could say, well, all this is doing is kind of setting the scene for what's really coming. But in the setting of the scene, there are some significant things that I want us to pay attention to here and again this morning, just to to remind us of what's going on here, because, because even in this scene itself, we see three significant things. The first is this. We see Jesus' authority. He sat down on a mountainside. Now remember again, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and immediately when we start talking about a mountainside, that immediately evokes the mountain of the Lord and, and all kinds of prophetic passages out of the Old Testament that speak of the mountain of the Lord. And so So the fact that Jesus is up on a mountainside has some significance here. But not only that, but in his sitting down, and sometimes we, you know, we we have this picture of Jesus, you know, standing and but actually he's he's sitting here, but that actually in in the tradition and in the context culturally of that time, sitting down was the posture of a rabbi who was going to teach with authority. So in other words, when Jesus sits down on the mountainside, we have an immediate understanding that the words he is bringing are words that are freighted with the weight of full authority. Okay? This isn't casual. This is authority. The second is that there's a sense of intimacy about the scene. Even though there are great crowds, Jesus is sitting there and the disciples and the crowds come and they sit and they listen to him. So they're coming to listen to these words of authority and that's what we're doing here this morning and that's what we do as we come to the word, as we come to the gospel. 
We're in the, we're in the midst of, a, of an ongoing dialogue with the king who is speaking to us and we're listening carefully to hear and to receive. It was so beautiful at the Lenten retreat yesterday, thanks to Andrew and Pastor Sam who, who put together the Lenten, uh, mid, mid-Lent retreat on discerning the body. It was so significant to listen to the Lord individually and then in partnership and then around a small table and then as a large group. And each time it was like we received a fuller and fuller and fuller and deeper understanding which is part of this third piece, is that there's a sense of community. They came together. And I'm sure that afterwards, they were, they were conversing, they were talking with one another. Well, what did you hear him say? I don't know that there was anybody there actually writing down every word that he said, any one person. But, you know, there was probably somebody there that was taking, you know, and again, in an oral tradition, there's hearing, but they were hearing and they were listening together as a community. We need the community to listen together, to hear the word of the Lord. We don't hear the Lord clearly in isolation, but only in the context of community. Okay? So these are three significant kind of things to help frame the context as we enter into the Beatitudes and ultimately into the Sermon on the Mount which we're going to be, which this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be unpacking the rest of the Sermon on the Mount after Easter. All right. Now, the Beatitudes themselves. He was saying, blessed. Blessed. Now, blessed comes from the Greek word makarios. And here's the deal, folks. We do not actually have an English word which kind of captures this Greek word, makarios. We have some that kind of come close. So we we translate it blessed. Here are some other words that could be happy, fortunate, blissful. But then there's actually a Spanish word. So I'm going to... Concepcion or Carlos, can you help me? How, how would you translate bienaventurado? I don't even know if I, you know, my Spanish is a little rusty. But is there a way, how would you translate that into the English? Carlos or Concepcion, both of you, whoever, come. You can both stand up and tell us what you... Okay, so it's God's hand on us. I like that. Okay. You know, the Bible also has this like comparison Okay, it's a gift that it's given, it's hand, and, and is there, there's a sense of the journey, kind of a, right? And a path or a way. Okay. All right. God's hand and you on the path. Okay. That's the way. Is I've tried to figure out how to. Tra- it, it, the, the, the one way of congratulations. You're on the right road and you're going to make it. He's, God's hand is on you. 
okay? So when you're thinking about this blessed, so blessed are the poor, congratulations when, when you're poor in spirit, congratulations because you're on the right road and you're going to make it. Okay? So bienaventurado, is that the way to say it? I know, yeah. It's. So when you're thinking blessed, think that word. Congratulations, you're on the right road. You're going to make it. Now, I, I want to say this. I, I want to give this one more context as we get deeper into the blessed. Because... I'm going to just share personally that sometimes the Beatitudes, they can trip me up because of the things that I'm going to say next here, okay? First of all, these are not, you've messed up so you better try harder. You're not poor enough in spirit yet, so just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try a little harder to be poor in spirit. That's the way we can interpret it, particularly if you've grown up in a sort of legalistic environment, these are not a new legalism. Jesus isn't trading the legalism of the Pharisees for a brand new legalism. So, do you get this? God's not there with a stick saying, you messed up. Jesus isn't out there with a stick to the crowd saying, you messed up. In fact, he's talking to the Pharisees who've got all these legalists, and he's saying, hey, Pharisees, I just want you to know, those that, are poor, those that are mourning, those that are meek, these are the ones that are on the right route. These blessed are what happens when we come to Jesus and listen to him in community with fellow pilgrims. This is the natural outflow of a life that's lived in the context of the grace of Jesus Christ. Hello. Wow. You guys were doing all right, and then it suddenly got silent, all right? The blessed, the, the right road, you're going to make it. This is what happens when we, when we come to Jesus. This is what happens. These are, it's the natural flow that, of what happens when we're in community with him and with one another, when we're experiencing intimacy with Jesus, and when we're experiencing community with fellow pilgrims. We will find ourselves in this place of being poor in spirit, of being of mourning, of meekness, of hunger and thirst. I love this. Now, as you've heard over and over again through the, through the messages that have already been preached, these these first four Beatitudes really all wrap themselves around that first Beatitude, which is sort of the foundational point and says, you know, your utter dependence on God. Again, I love the testimony. Thank you so much, Edith, for sharing your testimony. It was just like the, and, and everybody who shared testimonies, it was like the profound lead-in to the message this morning because because they really were wrapped around again, around our utter dependence on God. That is the beginning and the end. <laughs> that is, the, the, that is the, 
the, the, the beginning of our faith and the end of our faith, the author and the perfecting of our faith, is always the faith on him. It always comes back to being centered on him. And our dependence on him. The next four Beatitudes then focus on sort of what then begins to get expressed through our lives as a result of that dependence on him. So there's a, there's a building, there's a progression going on here. Jesus, this wasn't just like casual little sayings that were brought together in any random order, but there's an actual flow here that he's bringing to us, which brings us to today, and blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Okay? Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Well, let's unpack this. And this won't take a, a long time this morning. So, But just hang with me for just a little bit longer as we now discover what is... We have this utter dependence on God now. What's the outworking of that? What is that going to look like as it flows out of our lives? Well, mercy comes from the Greek word eliemon or the Hebrew chesed. You have to get that. I should be able to do that right now. Um, the chesed, all right? It's a very robust word it, in, in the, you know, mercy is one of the ways that we translate it. A couple of other ways that we use in, in English would be sympathy, which comes from two, you know, two words uh, together with and to experience. So it's experiencing together with someone or compassion, which is the come is the with and the passion is to suffer. It's suffering with. So so a, a way of trying to kind of encapsulate that is that mercy is not simply a feeling or it's not something that's given solely from the outside. It's not just an, an external thing. It's actually deliberately, it's an internal posture where we deliberately identify with another and experience with them their suffering. So mercy is a vigorous thing. It's not simply a feeling. We can, we can feel stuff. I mean, feelings are important. Emotion is certainly a part of it. But it's deeper than just sort of a surface emotion of, of maybe a pity. I don't know whatever word we would use for that. But sort of more than a surface feeling, it's, it's actually beginning to identify with another person and experience with them their suffering. So, if we're going to understand mercy and blessed are the merciful, well, there's, there's really two components to it. And we're going to look very briefly at these two components to kind of bring the message to a close. So, if this is an inside-out thing, the first thing that has to happen is an internal transformation. Again, the testimony this morning, I've been transformed. I'm in the process of, well, transformation is something that happens from that inside out, and it begins 
with a change in our attitude. And let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and, and see here, well, a picture of somebody who, who needed to have an attitude adjustment. Now, we're going we're gonna to get to this parable later on in our study of Matthew, so I'm not going to unpack it all, but I just want to use it illustratively today to speak about mercy as it, as it relates to our attitude. So, verse 21 of Matthew 18, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which would be like millions of dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him and be, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out... He found one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be like a few dollars. So he was forgiven millions, and he's got somebody who owes him a few pitiful dollars, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Help us, Lord. The wellspring of mercy. Here's kind of a takeaway that I want you to grab hold of. The wellspring of mercy is found in God's mercy towards us. He identified with us in our suffering so much that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And it's expressed into our lives through the offer of forgiveness. Which releases us from judgment. And we receive that mercy through repentance, through turning to Him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So when we turn our hearts to Him, He is running. I mean, He's already gone 99 out of the 100 steps It is simply our turning around, turning from ourselves and our own efforts, turning to Him and receiving His mercy in our life. And that becomes the wellspring of mercy which flows through us. James, chapter 2, 13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm sure glad of that in my life. 
aren't you glad? To be forgiven of a debt you could never pay? Is you could never do it? You would never be good enough? You can never pay this debt? But the debt has been paid? And mercy, this is the cross. The cross is the symbol that tells us mercy has triumphed over judgment. So, perhaps a, a, an invitation to us today, if you're, if you're struggling with mercy, if you're struggling with forgiveness, spend some time reconsidering the cross. Spend some time gazing on the suffering of Jesus for you. Recognize what he went through and the forgiveness that has flowed to you. Perhaps that will start a reorientation in your heart of how you're looking at other people around you. Second Corinthians 5, we no, we no longer view others through human eyes, even as we once did Christ. But there's been a transformation because all things are new. Things are different because of mercy. Mercy changes everything. Mercy changes everything. Which brings us then to the action. And the action is encapsulated in perhaps... I mean, one of the most familiar of parables in the Bible, one that even people who maybe never been in church know about this one. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, starting in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. You passed the test. You got a 100% on your ACT, Jesus replied. Now do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify him, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? So now, well, I don't really want to do it. I just want to think about it. So Jesus replied, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hand of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him dead. Now, one of the local pastors from the, the local, one of the local churches happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. And so too one of the elders, one of the leaders of the local church, he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But there was a Samaritan. No. There was a Somali Muslim. And as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Maybe the question that the expert in the law, maybe the question that we need to be asking ourselves is not, who is my neighbor, but how am I to be a neighbor? How about asking ourselves that question? How can I be a neighbor to this clerk who's being really crabby? How can I be a neighbor to this coworker who's frankly being kind of, you know, unhelpful at best? How can I be a neighbor to that student at school who's, well, frankly, they're just kind of a jerk? Or how do I be a neighbor to the one who is other than me, so different, and what do I do? You see, if God is the wellspring of mercy, then the the flow of mercy issues forth in compassionate action to relieve the misery of others. Now, it's not the action that saves us. I mean, that's... That's a, we'll, we'll talk about that later in the future. It's not that the merciful act saves us, but the merciful act is a natural outpour and expression of being saved. Because I've experienced the wellspring of his forgiveness and grace and mercy in my life, it's going to pour out. I love what Paul says in Second Timothy, speaking to Timothy, his protege, and he says, well, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So here he is, he's speaking, he's commending someone who is showing mercy on him. So the attitude that is reoriented around the inflow of God's mercy into our life becomes an action. It, 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 goes, it issues forth in compassionate action to relieve the misery of others. And the result of that is that when we tap in to the wellspring of God's mercy and his mercy begins to flow through us, we will receive mercy in increasing measure. As it says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, when, right after Jesus teaches them how to pray, and then he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father, Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, again, there's theological nuance in here. I mean, God forgives us, but what happens is, is when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we are unwilling to let mercy, we, we actually begin to block the mercy of God coming to us. When we're hanging on to unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever it is, or, or we, you know, we're unwilling to open our hearts to be compassionate, to be sympathetic, to, to, to reach out in mercy to others, when we're holding on, we're actually fencing out We're actually blocking his grace flowing into us. He wants to flow into us and out through us as a continual flow. 
those who are merciful will be shown mercy. In the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this particular beatitude this way. It says, you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. Love that. At the moment of being careful, you're cared for. William Barclay, um, on this particular kind of, he has an expanded paraphrase, which I, I really like. He says, oh, the bliss of the one who gets right inside of other people until he can see with their eyes and think with their thoughts, feel with their feelings, for he who does that will find others do the same for them and will know that that is what God and Jesus Christ has done. There's a a deep plumb line here (laughs) to go through our spirit today. Jesus, we want to be people of mercy. Lord, we want to be known as a merciful people. So Lord, again this morning, we receive your mercy that you have given through the cross. And today, out of from that mercy. We pray that you will begin to enlarge us with merciful hearts. Lord, that we will, that Lord, we will be known as a merciful people. Thank you for your mercy extended towards us. What would we do without it? You've been so good to us, so gracious, so careful of our lives. We stand together as we close here this morning. Sing a familiar chorus. Everyone needs compassion. The kindness of a Savior. If you just need to be filled again in your own heart with the mercy of God today, I'm just going to open up this altar. If you want to come, nothing magical about the altar, but it's a, a touch point, a place to receive. If you want to come and receive mercy today, maybe you realize that your heart's been kind of closed up a bit. And you just want to open it up again today. You want to open your heart. You want to open your hands. You want to open your life. You want to be a, a, a conduit, a flow. You want to have a stream of mercy that's flowing not just into but through your life. Maybe there's a particular situation you're thinking of where you just need, God, I need you. It's a good prayer. Help me, Lord. Help me have mercy on this person that's just, it's hard. But just come. Let's just open our hands. Lord Jesus, thank you that you can move mountains. You've moved mountains in our lives, God. 
Lord, you see the mountains that are before us right now. And I ask, Lord God, that you would come with your gracious mercy to each one here today that you would pour that mercy in afresh. Your life, God, the flow of your, the wellspring of your gracious goodness, God, let it flow to each and every life today. Remind us again of the incredible sacrifice of the cross and the goodness extended to us because of it. Lord, we just know that whenever you speak to us, you're going to give us an opportunity to activate. So Lord, I, I fully expect this week or in the days and weeks for sure in the soon coming time, there's going to be an opportunity for us to exercise mercy towards someone. Maybe it's our spouse or our children or our parents. Maybe it's going to be a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe it's going to be a, somebody that we meet, a neighbor or somebody in the neighborhood or in the school or work situation or wherever we're out doing, you know, whatever, marketing, whatever it's going on, wherever we're at. God, there's going to be places for mercy. So, Lord, remind us of your word today. Lord, help us on the way. Thank you. You're on the way. You're going to make it. Congratulations. You're going to make it. God's going to help us. He's going to help us. He's going to give us what we need. His hand is on us. Thank you. Thank you. And now may you be filled afresh. This very day, with your hands open, receive. The immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. The inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I pray that his love and goodness, his mercy and favor will chase you down every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, be blessed. Amen.